Hey, good morning, One Hope. It's so great to have you with us this morning. If you're joining from outside, it's amazing to have you as well. This morning, I'm sitting with two of my favorite people in the whole world who've been giggling as I do my announcements and um, killing me to get it done. But Lex and Joe are with us this morning, and I'm going to ask them a few questions before he preaches with us. Guys, thank you for being with us again. Um, Most of you would know them really well, and this is one of our, our key values, One Hope, that we value fathers and mothers coming into our midst it's one of the things we love so much because they just see things we don't see they help us in ways that we haven't even yet experienced that you guys have forgotten so thanks for being with us tell us how you are yeah i think we're doing we're doing well i think um we have there are aspects of lockdown that we've actually enjoyed reading more spending time together we don't have young children, so we didn't have homeschooling online or any of that. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, you say you don't have young children, but I've seen some stuff of a little baby in your home. Uh, yeah, so we beca- during lockdown, we became temporary safe care parents. So we were screened, um, and then we got our first baby in November, and we had him for three months. He was three days old, yeah. and the hospital phoned the social workers and said, he's got to go. Amazing. So we, we drove into Kailicha Hospital, a fantastic, beautiful hospital. And so we picked up this little three-day-old baby and we just fell in love beautiful. with him. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. And have you got uh, fresh insight into parenting, the young age? Any words <laughs> for our... No, it's still the same. It's nappies, it's sleeping, it's feeding. Yeah. I think, And yeah, loads of love. We, yeah, we just loved him. Yeah. Um, obviously he'd been through some traumas so we just wanted to love him and look after him and actually the great news was he went back to his mum oh, so wonderful. the social workers worked with his mum while we had him and then he went back to her so yeah. that was really special and oh, we could so meet the mum pray for her when we handed him over and now we're um, just gonna have another baby soon so well you two yeah yeah <laughs> wonderful <laughs> we had some modern day miracle <laughs> We had four. <laughs> we had we had four, and so we never really seriously considered adopting. But I think one of the things that I had thought through was whether, as a father, I'd be able to love the yeah. adopted child as much as my own. Yeah. Or, and I think I've read since actually since we've done this, I, I've read from a couple of different sources how one of the big challenges for men is not knowing whether they could really trust themselves to fully love this child. And I think this experience of uh, this this, um, emergency care, uh, although we only had him for three months, all of the floodgates of affection and love and yeah. protectiveness and everything yeah. just always activated. Just back in, yeah. And I'd encourage any, any couple who are considering adoption or considering fostering to seriously look into this because I, I think actually, it was... I was actually reading a, an article this morning on the newspaper saying basically that during lockdown so many mothers have had to give up their babies because they've sure. lost their job, they can't feed them. So um, oh, a, lot of, a lot of charities are saying, you know, mothers, you know, like 10 month like old emergency babies are care. saying, mm. please, you know, you've got to take our baby. I don't know how to look after it. Wow. Um, so the need is huge. And that's on top of an already existing need because there are so many orphans yeah. in South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. So that's some of our kind so, of personal, yeah. personal story. Yeah. I think at Jubilee, uh, it's been for you the same. It's been a mixture. We've gone yeah. on, online. We've had a few in-person meetings. 
Uh, we've had some tragic deaths and I've done a few funerals already this year. So it's a sobering time where the big issues yeah. of the truth of Christianity and who Christ is and whether a relationship with Christ really makes a difference uh, has been even more relevant yeah. than, than normally. It's always relevant, but I think when people are facing the reality of the fact of the death of a loved one or a relative or mm. even facing their own death, suddenly these things become much more important. And it's yeah. a time where we as believers need to begin sharing our faith yeah, much it's a little more. bit more front and center, right? And yeah. some, some of the wins for you guys in this last, the last season in Jubilee Cliff, what's it been like and just stuff yeah, that you want to celebrate? I, and I think we, our online alpha yeah. was, was, was a lot of fun. And actually, we're now in a, a life group which is just on Zoom with people, uh, for the most part, apart from Dan and Mary, that we knew beforehand, are all friends that came through Alpha Online. We didn't know them before. Yeah. And we're now in this life group, which is dynamic, a mixture of believers and not yeah. yet believers. A couple from London as well. Who joined with yeah. us. One, one life group meeting we had, the, the guy, one guy was in Istanbul, another one was in China, you know, I mean, it's just in the restaurant. in hospital. One was in hospital she in London. COVID, but she still zoomed in. And I think it was just, we just, the community formed over Zoom, yeah. which we were really surprised about. Yeah. We've got such an affection for these people. Yeah. And we've met them like maybe once, you know, in, in person. person. So yeah. yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, that was a good. Surprise. So I think Alpha really worked. And, and I yeah. think I was a little nervous at the online Alpha because it, it felt like, wouldn't it be like a cold invitation to just send yeah. the, the, the JPEG of, you know, this is the advert for Alpha and would mm. do you want to come? Yeah. And I thought, well, maybe if we get 30, it'd be great. Well, you know, we had well over 100 people. Yeah. And it, it was just surprising. I've been in touch with Scott Marks, who, who leads the, the New Frontier Sphere that's based up in Ferrari, Zimbabwe. Yeah. And they had 700 people wow. on their Alpha. Wow. There is a, I know people are zoomed out and all of that. They've got Zoom yeah. fatigue, but there's also a hunger for God. There's a hunger for meaning. There's a hunger for some kind of direction in the, in yeah. the midst of all the unknowns. Yeah. And Alpha is a great way of uh, yeah. just guiding people towards Christ. Yeah. Guys, thank mm -hmm. you. I just want to say thank you, not just for today, but for the much investment, the many times that you've come through. Oh, we love coming to see you. Yeah, yeah. It's great. We love Stellenbosch. Is, What's not to love? It is amazing, right? And, but Kate and I as well, just as a couple, have benefited so much from you guys, speaking into our lives, speaking into our marriage, speaking actually into even, our, I remember sitting and having a cake and a coffee in Amanis and talking about whether to have another child. And you guys saying, go for it. Go for it. And that is, Annabeth turned three years old this oh. last Oh, last week. Time for another one. Yes. No, no. That's no. Right. That's right. Not, not a prophecy. Scratch that. Scratch that from the record, please. Um, but just want to thank you guys. And Lex is going to preach for us. Great. So, Joe, would you just uh, just pray for Lex and for the word? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Lord Jesus, we just want to come to you with grateful hearts. We just thank you for friendships. Thank you that communities can come together and just be there for each other. And Holy Spirit, I just pray for this... Um, the preach that Lex is just about to do. Lord Jesus, we pray you really would just um, mm -hmm. fill him with your spirit and just that so he can anoint That's his right. words 
that they go straight into our hearts, Lord Jesus, and they really just uh, just strike a chord and that we really want to uh, just jump into action for you, Lord Jesus. I just pray, you, Holy Spirit, you really would come and fill each of our hearts, Lord. Just teach us this, these truths. And we just pray for um, One Hope as well. I pray mm. you would bless them. Yeah, this up-and-coming Alpha, we pray yes. for much, much fruit, Lord Jesus. We know there's so many people in Stellenbosch who need you. So we pray for that. We pray that they really would be a light in Stellenbosch. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you again. And I do trust that this word will encourage you and it may challenge you. And I think that's a good thing. Um, I hope it challenges you at the very core of your being, because what we're looking at today is what it means for us to be witnesses. And um, I want to convince you, actually, that belonging to Jesus means that you have a responsibility to speak to others about him. Now, I know that's not a radical idea, but let's begin by just reviewing what discipleship even is, the essence of Christian discipleship. What is it? It's actually easy. easy. You know this. It's about following Jesus and submitting to him. Jesus called it being born again. And I remember that when I was born again, everything was new. Discovering Christ was the best thing that had happened to me. Joe and I, as you heard, recently became emergency foster care parents. And, uh, you know, when there's new life, it brings massive changes and challenges, but it also brings joy. And when you begin to follow Jesus, it does mean change. It means change. It means that you hold loosely the beliefs that just five minutes ago you were holding very tightly. It means that you're essentially saying, I'm relearning life, the whole of life. I'm now, as it were, becoming like a child so that I can learn a new way of thinking, the right way of thinking and living. I'm, I'm a new member of a family that's new to me and I need to humble myself in order to learn. <clears throat> now, you may have certain points of resistance. <clears throat> I did, for sure. The values of the kingdom of God are different from our own self-centered values. But Jesus said, you need to become like a child. My view of myself has to change. I have to take a, a step down. If your starting point is that there are certain beliefs that under no circumstances you will change, then I'm not sure that you've actually begun this journey of discipleship, of followership of Jesus himself. And now it may be that some of our strongly held beliefs we retain, or some more often than not get kind of realigned by putting Jesus first, but some of them will be challenged and will need to change. Submitting to him means being willing to open your hands and say, you are Lord, you are my master, and I am your servant. And if you read the New Testament, you'll see that's exactly what the first disciples did. Jesus taught them, he opened the scriptures up to their understanding, and he told them to teach us what he'd taught them, and that's why we have the New Testament. So to be a disciple of Jesus means to be under the word of God, shaped by the word of God through the help of the Holy Spirit. None of that 
is a radical version of discipleship. All of that is basic, standard Christian discipleship. Every follower of Christ now belongs not to himself, but to him. And following his teaching and the teaching set out for us in Scripture. As Paul says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Now, I'm developing an argument, and, I, and you'll see where I'm going with this, because one of the great blessings of listening to God's Word is, week by week, is that we often hear what God wants to do for us, how he, he comforts and strengthens us, and that's a good and that's a true emphasis. Nothing wrong with that. How God through the gospel, serves us. It's absolutely right. Apart from him, we can do nothing. A problem comes in, though, if our view of the Christian life is mainly about God serving and helping me. There's just a slight difference of emphasis there. I could misunderstand that maybe I'm the center of it all, when actually we're here, you're here, I'm here, to serve others as well. We can become self-focused. Now, there are times when we do need to slow down and make sure we're healthy and we're happy in the gospel. Nothing wrong with that. But if the focus becomes us and our own well-being, then we can get confused if things don't, if things go wrong, if things don't work out in the way that we thought they should. It looks like, where's God? Is God is God's not behaving properly. It's not working. There's a bit that I slotted in somewhere that isn't fitting correctly. Rather than persevering, we think, well, this Christianity stuff just isn't working. It's not, doesn't work. But the New Testament picture of a disciple is far more robust and more resilient than that. We're in danger of producing a generation of believers who are not equipped to persevere. And that will have a direct numbing, silencing effect on mission, on evangelism particularly, because perseverance is vitally necessary when it comes to mission and when it comes to evangelism. So many believers say, well, look, 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 just to be honest with you, my service is best worked out in, in worship, in, in praying, in serving within the church, because I can see like an immediate return. I'm encouraged. People thank me. I can see that there are some kind of results there. But when it comes to serving outside the church, whatever that service looks like, it actually might not be that encouraging. In fact, I might even be misunderstood as to my motives. I might even get rejected. And then we feel like, well, we've either made a mistake or that kind of thing is for other people, but not for us. I mean, this can happen even when we read news of believers in different countries who have tried to share their faith in contexts where maybe conversion is illegal or you know, you need to be careful. We read the stories of what happened to them in the secular press and we think, well, yes, that was presumptuous to try and get Christian teaching into a non-Christian context. What were they thinking? And I've caught myself thinking that kind of thing. Oh, probably foolish, probably unwise. I think to myself, what? Former generations of believers said they're persecuted, 
for taking the gospel. They've died. We must go. We must rise up. We must take their place so that the gospel will be preached throughout creation. In every nation, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Another mistake we make is that we kind of outsource evangelism. You know, instead of actually witnessing in our world, we say, well, there are other people in the church who are gifted to do that. But Jesus never outsources mission. I mean, he leads us, doesn't he? He, he, What Jesus did was he rolled up his sleeves like a leader and he got to work. And the disciples followed him into what? Adventures. Suddenly it's like, wow, even the demons submit to us. And people are getting healed. And and Jesus said to say, listen, listen, the main thing is that you're saved. But there's all this adventure happening in mission. I think we live much more boring lives than we could be living if we followed Jesus and were effective witnesses for him. Jesus said this, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And if we're constantly evaluating whether or not we we want to do this on the basis of how I feel, what I receive from doing it, I, I think we could be silenced. That would be tragic. So I want to look at three emphases which I think will help you and I become more effective witnesses. The first one is this, dying to self so that others might live. Just dying a little so that others might live. In, in English, the word witness and martyr, you might be surprised to know, are actually joined at the hip and they're joined in Greek, of course. Even though a person who testifies to what they've seen isn't necessarily a martyr, yet the English word witness is the translation of the Greek word martyr. And the word martyr was transliterated into the language of the church because it was, of course, the ultimate witness of your allegiance to Christ was when you were willing to lay down your life for Christ. And so these two words are joined. And every Christian is called to be a witness. And although martyrdom isn't usually on the menu, thankfully, being a witness I think always, always means a degree of dying to self. Usually just before you begin to start sharing something about Jesus. There's a a kind of dying to self, a taking up of your cross, identifying yourself with Jesus. Witnessing is never cool or easy. It doesn't really get easy and Joe and I were um, I was reminded of this because Joe and I took a a couple out for uh, lunch Um, not too long ago the restaurants opened up again and we managed to find somewhere that was outside it was all safe and after paying I I, uh, was fumbling in my pocket I had my wallet out already I was fumbling in my pocket and I, I wanted to give uh, the waiter, you know, one of these cards that I use, which that has a theme on the front and then an evangelistic verse um, answering that theme on the other side. And uh, I'm fumbling and stumbling and he's looking at me and I can, I can tell that he's like, what, what do you want? What now? Until he worked out that I was inviting him to come to church when we start meeting again. As soon as he worked out what I was trying to do, he was like, yeah, I, I'd love to come along. And I think it just reminded me that you don't ever get slick or smooth at this stuff. 
Sometimes people look at you as though you just let out some kind of noxious smell. At other times they feel a little bit sad, a bit sorry for you. There's a kind of condescension. Oh, you, there are still people who believe this. Quite often though, they're grateful. Quite often though, they're, they're positive. But there's a Whatever the outcome is, there's usually a kind of small martyrdom involved each time. Usually just before you speak, as I say. Be wise, but be willing to talk about Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So that's the first thing, a little dying that others might live. Secondly, deliberately serve the non-believer. See it witnessing evangelism as serving. When Joe and I lived in America, uh, we, as we would normally do, would pray for people at the end of each service. Um, and there was one young woman who came to be prayed for, and she was really distraught. And she explained why she was so distraught. And she said, I, I, I'm doing a job which is soul destroying and I just cannot carry on. She was working in McDonald's. And she said that the problem with working at McDonald's is, first of all, everyone thinks you're a loser anyway because you work there. Secondly, she said that um, people are impatient and hungry. So there's that combination. Then she said, if you're slow or you make an error on the order, it's like you've committed some terrible crime. And she said, it's just soul destroying. They're not seeing me as a person and it's horrible. And we prayed for her, obviously. But afterwards, I thought to myself, what a difference. What a difference it would make if every Christian who's in that line, in that queue, thought, how can I serve the person that's serving me? If every Christian just saw the person as a person, maybe noticed their name, if there's a name tag, and repeated the name, and, and spoke to them and thanked them, and sought to try and encouragement, encourage them, and maybe even say something like, you know, you can't get into a big conversation, but you could say, hey, thanks for serving, and just so you know, Jesus loves you. What's so wrong about saying Jesus loves you to someone? Oh, no, I'm not sure. I haven't built up a long-term friendship with this person. No, no, no. You don't realize that this might be like a shaft of hope, of light, breaking into the darkness of that person's life. And I think we should think of serving others in evangelism and not just hanging around evaluating the customer service in this place and what's why is this person so slow and don't they get trained properly and all the other legitimate things you could be fussing about rather than thinking I'd like to invite that person to church or even if you can't if you don't have a little leaflet on you or, a, or a whatever you can still say Jesus loved you and it could change someone's life. It could really make a big difference in their day. If there are like three people of the, I don't know how many people you would serve at Pick and Pay, I don't know, 400 in a day? You know, if only three were really positive, really kind, really encouraged, 
encouraging, and they happen to mention Jesus at the same time, I think pretty soon you think, I need to go to church. These people are different. These people are different. We need to serve rather than evaluate how well we're being served. It's the same online. Listen, look for opportunities to get the gospel in. It doesn't have to dominate your media, social media profile. I, you know, you don't. Please don't fill your, you know, your, your, uh, um, you know, your profile, your, your feeds with Jesus memes and all of that. But, you know, is there anything? Is there anything that gives a clue that the most important person in your life is Jesus? Is there any point at which that comes through? Go for it. Paul says, though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. He was clear. He's always on mission. And perhaps there are reasons where, why it's a little more difficult to talk about Jesus during lockdown. But in actual fact, in reality, the root issue is the same as at any other time in your life. Are you willing to risk a certain awkwardness, a little clumsiness, to start talking about him? If your heart is to serve others with the gospel, you will find ways of doing it, whatever they are. However, they might not be appropriate for somebody else, but they'll be perfect for you. And that's one of the great things about running an Alpha course, because you can actually use the opportunity to invite people in. And it's not just, no one's locked into just you. There's a group of you. And there's sharing together. As you heard earlier, we were amazed at the number of people who are keen to do Alpha at the moment. But you don't have to get bogged down waiting for the coolest app or the most high-tech thing. <laughs> Look, just, just make the most of every opportunity that you have with respect, but with faith. You don't have to know all the answers. You really don't. Rick Warren's got a wonderful illustration about being a witness. He says in a, in a, in a courtroom, you've got the, um, the advocate, the barrister, the lawyer, uh, who knows all the machinations of courtroom procedure. He, he, knows, he knows the law backwards. He knows what he's doing. He knows when to object, when not to object. He knows about legal precedent. He's got the facts and figures. A good lawyer can win a case. A bad lawyer could lose you a case. But there's another person who can come in who has none of that information and who can turn the direction of a case clear around. And that is, of course, a witness. If you get a reliable witness, they can turn a case completely around and get to a different decision. And what does a witness have to do? Does the witness have to know all the answers, all the legal precedent, all the kind of, no, the ins and outs of it all. No, they don't. A witness just says what they know, what they saw, what they heard, what, 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 they, what they know was true because they were there. That's all. 
and you don't need to know all the apologetic answers for all the difficult questions. Just be a witness. Just say what God's done in your life. The, uh, the, when Peter talks about, in Peter 3.15, when he talks about, you know, always be ready to have an answer for those who ask you, for what, what's the reason for your joy? He wasn't expecting, oh, well, there's the cosmological argument and there's this argument. He was expecting them to say, it's Jesus. Jesus made a difference in my life and he's brought me joy. So you can be a witness. You can do this as you. You don't have to be transformed into some other person. You can be you and be an effective witness. So, die a little for the sake of others that they might live. Serve a little. And then finally, believe. Believe a little. Believe a core. This is a discipleship promise. I'm going to finish with this. To Peter and Andrew, James and John, while they were still fishermen, these are the guys that Jesus went for. They were fishermen. They were tradesmen. He made a discipleship promise to them. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Really, I will make you winners of souls to me. I will make you effective of drawing men and women, people to me. From now on, you will be fishing for souls, Matthew 4, 19. And there's a connection between follow me and fishing, between following and fishing. Follow me, he says. And if you follow me, Something will happen to you. Something new will be formed in you. It's not already in you, in your personality, in your whatever. Something is going to happen. I'm going to work in you so that you will be able to draw others to me. This is not a promise about personality types. Oh, I couldn't do that. It's so extrovert. I couldn't give away leaflets. Or... You know, we're always afraid that being willing to witness means somehow becoming insensitive <laughs> or, or brash or foolish or just like, you know, you walk away and everyone is like, what was that? No, no, look at how Jesus responded people. Go back to people. Go back to the Gospels. Open and read again how Jesus interacted, how he initiated conversations. Think of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. That is a completely cold contact if ever there if ever there was one people say oh no i'm not doing any of that evangelism just cold 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 for goodness sake have some compassion will you there are people who are outside of the scope of the gospel how are they going to hear unless someone will say something this woman at the well she's going about her ordinary day and jesus broke into the moment and opened I mean, her life up. And what happened? She then went to loads of people who she did already know and said, hey, look at Jesus. Don't, don't, don't dismiss just being willing to sow a little seed here and there. In fact, the kingdom of God is like a man who, who went out and sowed seed all over the place. And he goes to sleep and he's relaxed about it. And when he wakes up, the seed begins to grow. And when it grows and it's ripe, then he puts the sickle in because the harvest has come. That's what the kingdom of God is like. We reap according to what we sow. And if we sow just a little, just one, and then maybe a few years later, another one, and 
we need to be sowing much, much, much more. And then we'll reap a harvest. Hallelujah. It's not a promise about becoming an extrovert. It's a promise that he will make them and fashion them into those who draw people to him. To be a disciple of Jesus means to follow him, which means to be changed by him. It means to be shaped by him. You're a follower of Jesus. We're now saying, Lord, you're the master. Remember, you're the, you shape me. Follow me, says the Lord, and I will make you a fisher of men and women. And, and our response should be, let it like, uh, like Mary's. When the angel said, I'm going to do something new and you've never been done before. What did she say? Let it be to me according to your word. Now, Jesus says to you, you follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Say, let it be to me according to your word. There's a boldness there. There's wisdom there. There's power in the spirit there as well. So the, the more we mature, the closer we get to follow him. And then the greater our potential to be effective fishers of men and women. And so we say, yes, Lord, do it, Lord. Maybe pause the sermon there and pray for one another. You know, a key to this is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. Why don't you pause now and pray for one another in your group that God would help you, you. Don't pray for outside ministries and this or that, or even ministries that are happening. Pray for yourself and for those in your group. God help us to become effective witnesses. Good, did you pray? That's wonderful. It's excellent. We need to pray more. God, make this real in my life. The danger of evangelism is, as I've kind of hinted at before, is not that we focus too much on it. We don't focus too much on it. The, the problem is that too many Christians believe it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a particular gift, and it's a gift that they don't have. And uh, listen, it is true that there is a ministry gift or an office, if you like, of the evangelist listed in Ephesians chapter 4, a ministry gift. There's the prophet. There's the evangelist. It's kind of the same thing. There are prophets, but everyone prophesies. There are evangelists who are particularly gifted to herald the gospel, usually publicly, but we're all called to be mini evangelists in the sense that we're all called to be witnesses. You are a witness anyway. You're either a good witness, a bad witness, or a silent witness. You are a witness anyway, however you look at it. But there's no such thing as the gift of evangelism. Nowhere is it listed as, as a gift of evangelism itself. Unless I suppose you talked more generally in terms of giving the gift of the gospel to someone who doesn't yet know it. And yet we say, we continue to say, well, I just don't have this gift. And the evidence is that I tried it and it didn't result in anyone getting saved. Look, look at the evidence. There's just no one around here who's been saved as a result of my efforts. Therefore, I'm not gifted at this. I think that's a mistake. I think that's a mistake. It's a little bit, it reminds me like of, uh, you know, um, I mean, first of all, the church would never have survived in the first few centuries if that happened. But even under persecution, they still gossip the gospel. But it, it does remind me a little bit of, of someone who says, um, okay, the worship leader says, okay, let's worship, let's stand. And you say, oh, no, no, I, I don't have that gift. I just, yeah, I, uh, you think, what, pardon? What, you know, what, no, let's worship God. Oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 or, or, you know, 
don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. I don't have the gift of fellowship. Or at least not now. And not with you. I don't have the gift of fellowship. It's, that's ridiculous. You don't have the gift of fellowship. It's absurd. The monumental relief is that we're not our own. If we follow Jesus, he's going to make us, fashion us into fishers of men and women, those who draw others to Christ. He'll work through you. It'll still be you. It'll still be your personality, your story, your lived experience, your strengths, your weaknesses. It's you speaking. It's you writing. It's you, I don't know, singing. It's you communicating in words about Jesus because evangelism is a communication in words about Jesus Christ. Your life is important. Your behavior, of course, is important. Either either makes way for the gospel or it can shut down the openness that someone else would have to the gospel. But evangelism is a communication in words about Christ. You don't need yet another new innovation. You need a new attitude. You don't need a new app or strategy. You need compassion. That's what you need. You need to know the love of God in your life that should burst out to others as well. He will carry you over your sense of self. You know, it's the love of God that kind of uh, gets you over that little bump of embarrassment and nervousness. The love of God wants to move towards people and touch their lives. And it's going to include you. And the love of God will carry you even over your sense of not being very well equipped or I don't know the answers. The love of God will carry you over that. And people know that. They sense that. Even if you don't have the answers, they sense and know that actually you've got something important that you want to share. It's good news and you're sharing that it's good news for you and it's good news for them as well. You'll stumble and fumble, but it's okay. If you have compassion you will listen to people. And when you listen to someone, you can see, ah, okay, this aspect of the gospel just fits perfectly now. And and this aspect of the gospel is relevant for them now. Rather than just do your blanket presentation. Now, a blanket presentation is better than nothing, but compassion will enable you to know what should fit and where. Now, just before I pray, there are just three areas which are critical to mission, which I haven't touched on at all, or even only just slightly. The first one is, of course, the importance of an overwhelming experience, an empowering experience of the Spirit, because Jesus said, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And as I referenced before, Acts 1.8, You'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. Secondly, I haven't talked about the romance of the church being on mission and all the big things that we can do together. And uh, secondly, and thirdly, uh, I haven't really talked about resources for evangelism except to mention the upcoming Alpha. But if you take some of these things seriously and you pray them into yourself, I do believe you'll take some steps of faith have some adventures which will lead to people joining even this Alpha. Or whether they don't, they'll join uh, church on a Sunday morning at some some point. So I haven't gone through a whole load of resources or looked at objections. I haven't even outlined the full story of what the, the gospel is. 
You know Jesus. He forgave your sins. How? By dying on the cross for you. Three days later, he rose again from the dead. Every single person needs to hear that message and needs to respond. And the the Christian response is to repent of sin, to realize if you died on the cross for my sins, I must turn from my sins and live for God and to believe. So it's repent and believe that Jesus is the one that God sent and surrender to him. And that kind of closes the, the circle, but it actually doesn't. It opens a door into a future of a life where you're accepted by God, you're loved by God, you're cherished by God, and you're walking towards a glorious future in eternity. So, believer, take up your cross and die a little to bring others to life. Second, be willing to sacrifice and serve the non-believer with the truth about Jesus rather than just being served. And thirdly, believe the promise that he will make you into a person who can draw others to himself. Shall we pray? Father, I pray this word would have power in our lives and would enable us to become very fruitful to bring others to you. Lord, we pray that many will be invited and many will come onto this Alpha. And that you, whether whether they're invited to Alpha or not, you would give us moments where we can share the good news of Christ wherever we are, whether we know people, whether we don't know people. Lord, we pray, make us effective men and women who can fish for souls for your glory. Amen.